Hallelujah. How many know God is up to something? Amen. Amen. We've been seeing miracles after miracle. We're so excited what he's doing at Brighton. We're so excited that he's uh, moving in such a mighty way. That's why I think it's so important when you walk into a worship service like this that you come expecting. Don't come just thinking, oh, it's just another Sunday. Oh, we're just going to sing the same songs they always sing. Oh, there's not. No. I'm telling you, if you need something from God, you come expecting God to move, move in the miraculous. You expect that this service is going to be your service. Time after time, you walk in with that expectation, I promise God will not let you down. And so I pray that we, we get, begin Sunday after Sunday walking in with the expectation that God's going to move, with the expectation that God's going to do miraculous, that God is going to do something and he's not going to let us down. I'm excited this morning. I'm excited to welcome, for I think, I think it's the first Sunday to introduce you to Baby Royce. I think Baby Royce is first Sunday. I know a lot of you, we've been praying for Baby Royce and praying for the family and praying that God will bring healing, and he has, and uh, Baby Royce is with us this morning, so we're so excited to give them a hand. So, so cute. And, you know, I told you, I don't know if it was last week or week before, but I mentioned we're, we'll give you an update on the giving campaign. And you know how this all started? The Lord has laid upon my heart last year. He really laid it upon my heart, upon my heart to uh, get this building knocked out. Let's just pay it off. Let's get it done. And so we've been praying and praying about how to do this. been talking with the board about how to start this, how to get it going. And, uh, and lo and behold, somebody gives a gift of $12,000. And it's a matching gift, and you understand matching gifts. So if somebody gives, that says they'll, they'll give twelve thousand, if you can raise twelve thousand. Hey, challenge accepted. We we love those kinds of challenges, right? And so we started teasing it, but August was official kickoff of the giving campaign, and we had the envelopes back there that confused everybody. Uh, and so, but we had them out there, and you guys did a wonderful job of taking envelopes. We, what, the idea was we had envelopes from number one to one hundred fifty-three. The idea was if everybody took one envelope and gave that amount one time on that, that envelope, that we'd reach the twelve thousand dollars. It's actually eleven thousand seven hundred fifty-eight, but pretty close, right? And so we started this first of August, and so thirty days. I thought we'd give you an update of where we're at, and this is this here, my friends, is shouting time. Let me just sh share with you where we're at. $59,844. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe it? I mean, come on. Tell me God is not up to something here at Brighton. God is up to something mighty here at Brighton. I mean, we've, been we've had three testimonies recently of people healed of cancer I give you a testimony of a give, uh, 30 days uh, of raising funds, and this is a testimony we got. Now, obviously, God laid us upon some people's heart to give some big amounts, and we are so thankful for that. You know what this does? And we actually already wrote a check for 60000 to send it into the bank. And so what this does is that's eight payments straight towards principal, straight towards principal. Amen. I mean, that's exciting, isn't it? I mean, that is, a, that is so good. And so here's the challenge of it. I want to challenge you, if you took an envelope and have not turned it in, I, I pray that you would you'd consider 
keeping your pledge. Now, I understand those envelopes back there, the highest one was $153. And so, and I understand some of you are on budgets, we're on a budget, and so if you took the one for $153 and say, I'm paying so much every month till December, I pray that you would consider honoring that pledge. Because that, my goal, here's my big God-given goal, is this year, I'd like to give 13 extra payments on top of what we already do. And we're at eight right now, so we got five to go. So I'd like to give five more regular payments straight to principal this year. And so I believe that God's going to do it. I believe we can do it with your help. And so this is ain't not over yet. And so, if, again, if, you're, if you've got an envelope, I challenge you to keep with it. If the Lord lays something on your heart, I challenge you to do it. Because next year... We're going we're gonna to present this again next year in a different format, but we're going to give you opportunity to give. Next four years, that's, that's my goal. Next four years, we're going to get this sucker paid off. I'd love to have the 70th birthday of Brighton Assembly have a note-burning party at the 7th birthday. I mean, come on. I mean, I'm excited. I, that's, that's my dream, and that's our goal, and so I pray that you guys just uh, pray about it. And be like, oh, pastor, I can't give. There's an envelope back there of $5 you can give, okay? But then pray, honestly, pray. Please, please pray that God will continue doing what he's doing. He brought in some huge gifts that we were not expecting, and it blew our socks off. Pray that God will continue to open doors like that, that God will continue to lay on hearts of people to give and to give in a mighty way. And so we're so excited, so, so, I cannot tell you thank you enough for listening to God and, and, and giving, and giving in such a mighty way. I mean, we had envelopes. It's so funny. One week, uh, Ethel showed me, there was like five or six envelopes stapled together because they couldn't get the amount they wanted, so they kept grabbing grab envelopes. I mean, it was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And so, so excited. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And let's just celebrate what God is doing at Brighton. Amen. Hey, this week, we're going to be back in chapter 10. I told you we're going to be in chapter 10 for a little while in Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 10 because it deals with such a, the, a big topic here. It's, such, it's a life-changing topic for them in, in Acts. And for the Jews, Gentiles, I mean, it's rocking their worlds. And remember, we saw last week how God did a work in the heart of Peter and the heart of Cornelius. And remember what's going on. So what's going on in Acts chapter 10 is Jews were having trouble Letting go of some traditions that they've grown up with. No, nobody in here struggles with that. But they grew up with some traditions. This is the way we do things. This is the way we operate, right? They had their preferences. And they didn't want to change those preferences. And, and so this was about the Jews accepting the Gentiles. And here's a real sticky point. was The Jews were finally warming up to the ideal that the gospel was for the Gentiles. Okay, they were warming up to it. You got to give them credit for that. They're warming up to it. But they wanted them to go through the ceremonial act of circumcision, which, as you can understand, Gentiles weren't really big fans of that, right? And so there's still this, there's still this struggle. It's like, okay, we, we might get behind the idea that the gospel for you, but you've got to change some ways. You got to do some things. Basically, you got to make yourself look like us. Is really what it boiled down to. And there, so there's still a sticky point to this. We're going to look at it again in Acts chapter 11. But this is what's going on in, the, in, our, in our verses here. And so God is working on Peter's heart. 
We understand that for the last, uh, last verses of chapter 9, where it shows that Peter's staying at a tanner's house, right? And so basically a skinner's house. This guy, skinned animals, tan leather, death all over his house, right? And a Jewish person would not normally stay there because that's off limits. And so right in chapter 9, you see God's working on Peter's heart. Chapter 10, you see God's still working on Peter's heart because God gives Peter a vision, right? God's working on his heart. God gives him a vision of the sheet with the animals, right? And then he tells them, hey, there's going to be some guys knocking on your door. Go with them. And, God, and Peter goes with them. Peter shows up, preaches right out of the gate. Verse 34, one of my favorite sayings in the Bible says, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Love that. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Peter's getting it. He's starting to understand that God shows no partiality. There is room in the kingdom for Jew and Gentile. And while he's preaching to these unclean Gentiles, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is a momentous occasion because why? Because never before now has uncircumcised people received the Holy Spirit. What it was is they haven't, they haven't, they haven't been circumcised, they haven't been baptized in water, but yet this is showing that God accepted them just how they were. This was momentous for them. I mean, this was a huge deal, and we don't understand it because we can't really put into context how big of a deal this is. But this is huge for them because obviously they're accepted by God. So we understand that God was trying to teach Peter a very important spiritual lesson here because I think Peter was in a rut, like some of us in a rut. We get in these ruts. We like the things we like. We like to do things the way we do things. And we're okay with that. But God was trying to teach Peter a very important spiritual lesson throughout Acts chapter 9, 10, and 11. But Peter was so set in his ways, he didn't want the word of God to interfere with his opinion. Come on. We've been there, haven't we? The word of God and then your opinion. Which one wins out? I mean, it's an honest question. Some days, I'll be honest, my opinion wins out. Some days, I actually give in and I listen to God. But this is what Peter's struggling with. And we've all been there. We've all had that problem that we have our opinion. God's got his, and sometimes we'll listen. There's a story about Chuck Yeager. Some of you guys know who Chuck Yeager is, a famous pilot, famous test pilot, really. But there's a story that when he was flying the F-A-6 Sabre over Lake in Sierra, in the Sierras. He has a buddy that owns a house on the, on the shore there, and he's like, I'll go buzz his house, right? And so during a slow roll, he suddenly felt his aileron lock, which I have no idea. If you want to know what's going on, Don over here, he can explain it to you, what happens when that locks. But Jaeger says it was a hairy moment flying 150 feet off the ground upside down. A lesser pilot might have pancaked with, fa fl fl uh, with fatal, fatal results. I'll slow down for you. But Jaeger let off the G's, pushed the nose up, and sure enough, the aileron unlocked. Climbed up to 15,000 feet. Everything was good. So this is why Jaeger wasn't a common person. He thought, I'll try it again. So he did. He tried again. And every time he rolled, the problem reoccurred. 
Jaeger knew three or four pilots had died under similar circumstances. The investigators were puzzled about what's going on with the Sabre's fatal, fatal flaw. And so Jaeger went to his superiors with the report, and inspectors went to work. And what they found was they found a bolt in the aileron cylinder that was installed upside down. One bolt was installed upside down. And eventually the culprit was found in a North American plant. He was an older man on the assembly line who ignored instructions about how to insert that bolt. Because by golly, he knew that bolts were supposed to be placed head up, not head down. I mean, come on, everybody knows that, right? Well, the sad commentary, Jaeger says that nobody ever told the man how many pilots he killed. Because he knew, right? He knew. He was sitting his ways. He knew how it worked. He knew what he was doing. So it makes me wonder how much of the work of God that we've killed by not listening to God. I think we already know the answer to that. I think sometimes you and I are like Peter if we don't want to admit it or not, but we're like Peter, and sometimes we can be downright hard-headed when it comes to change. Amen? I knew I wouldn't give any amen, so that's all right. <laughs> and so what I thought we could do today, and I got my, my trusty table out. And so growing up, did you guys learn table manners growing up? Now, I don't, like, I don't ever remember mom sitting down like we're going to have a lesson on table manners, Right? I just remember when I do something wrong, I just got popped. And I'd understand at that point, that's probably not a good thing to do, right? And so you learn table manners, and whether maybe you had a formal lesson or, or maybe your, your mom set you down and said, I want you to understand all the forks, which is still, I don't understand. One fork is pointy for me, and uh, one fork is uh, do the job, right? But you got tiny fork, you got middle fork, you got long fork. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand this. But table manners, we're going to learn some table manners, like this one right here. I remember it wasn't until I went over to somebody's house and I was doing this. And they got big-eyed. And I'm like, what's wrong with your eyes? Your table, your elbows are on the table. I'm like, yes, yes, they are. They're not supposed to be. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Well, they're lesson learned, right? Table manners. And so from our, from our study in Acts chapter 10, we're going to learn some table manners today. And then we're going to take these table manners and erase excuses for being exclusive. And we're going to learn how to act. So the first table manner I want us to look at is eat what's on your plate. Don't you love that one? Eat what's on your plate. You need to eat everything on your plate. I didn't grow up with that table manner. And here's the reason, let me, before you guys start, you know, thinking some bad thoughts about me, let me tell you why. In my house, mom would fix way more food than we need, right? And I've told you the pork chop, pork chop story before, I think, but pork chops, right? You get the thin cut pork chops, like she would fix a stack of them, right? Because who eats this one? I'm thinking three or four would be sufficient, Right? And so we grew up that way. And so I'd eat two or three platefuls. And yeah, there'd be some stuff left. But 
It's fine. It was like the third plate. I mean, you can understand, right? I'm getting full at this point. But then my wife, she grew up differently, and she grew up with the, you're going to eat everything on your plates because they usually got one plate, right? I mean, there were little people at their house. We had many people at our house, manly people at our house. And so, and, and they grew up that way. They eat everything on their plate. And some of you grew up the same way. You eat everything on your plate when you sit down to eat. And that's a good thing. When we come over to visit, you guys have us over for dinner. That's a rule of thumb now. I eat everything on a plate, right? Except the fat. I pass that to Pastor Mark. He'll take the fat. And he will, you know, he'll do that. But I, I trim the fat off. But Pastor Mark, hey, you going to eat that? I'm like, nope, you're, you're more than welcome to that. Honest story. I'm not lying on that one. <laughs> and so you eat everything in your plate. So here's a, here's a scenario. Peter is up on the roof around noon, and he's doing a good thing. He's praying, right? He's praying on the rooftop. And while he's praying, he becomes hungry. And that happens to me a lot. It doesn't seem to happen to you when you sit down to pray, like, I'm going to devote this time to pray. It's like something pops up, right? Usually my stomach pops up. I could use something to eat. And this happened to Peter. He gets hungry. And Peter, then as the Bible says, Peter fell into a trance. And there's a huge sheet being let down from heaven and earth out of four corners. That had to be a good-looking sheet, didn't it? I mean, all this stuff, all these animals... It could feed Peter for a long time. And so you think Peter's got to be getting excited. All this, all this food's coming down. But then he catches a glimpse of what's in the sheet, right? And he understands it's not kosher. And so it's animals that were forbidden in the Jewish culture. They were forbidden to eat these animals, right? And then all of a sudden, he hears a voice that all the men in this room loves to hear. It says, kill and eat. Right? It's almost deer season. Kill and eat is what it says right there. And, but, and, and, and Peter's like, you got to be crazy. you got to be crazy because I've never tasted any of these. I've never allowed these things in my body. These unclean things, these, uncommon, these common things, I've never touched them. And then, as you understand, we talked about last week, then a voice told him, don't call anything impure that God has called clean. Remember, don't call anything common that God has created. That's essentially what Peter's doing. This happens three times. Peter's got to be sitting there scratching his head, trying to figure out the meaning of all this. And at the very time, people come to the door, you understand the story, after being prompted by the Holy Spirit, tell Peter, hey, you're the one we're looking for. And so what do we learn about how we should act at the table from this portrait of passage? I think the story is, the lesson here is, if God puts on your plate, you eat it. If it's on your plate, you eat it. Meaning, if God puts someone in your life, like, like God was doing Peter. God was putting Cornelius in Peter's life because Peter needed to share the good news with Cornelius. Now, how ironic it was that Peter thought he was being righteous when he said no to God. He thought he was being righteous by saying, no, I don't do that. I don't, touch, I don't associate with those people. Remember? That's essentially what he's saying. And he thinks he's being righteous and saying, I don't associate with those folks. We know that the Jews and Gentiles, we don't, they didn't get along. But that did not mean that they did not need to hear the good news of God. 
you might be called to reach someone that is nothing like you. You have nothing in common. You actually can't even stand the person. But guess what? Does that give you an excuse not to do it? No. Jews did not like the Gentiles because they didn't adhere to their laws. Guess what? There's some people on your plate, they might not act like you, they might not think like you, they might not look like you, they might not even vote like you, but they're on your plate. So does it, does it matter? No. Because guess what? Those people in your life, they need to hear the good news. They don't need to hear the, the, the do's and the don'ts of church-going standards. They need to hear, if you read Acts chapter 10, they need to hear what Peter taught. Peter preached. Peter preached that they needed to hear that there's one God. One God. In our country today, they need to hear there's one God who sent his son Jesus to earth, who died on a cross, who rose from the dead, defeated death. Offers to take our punishment for sin. The question is, are you willing to accept it? Because if God puts on your plate, take it. If God puts someone in your life, like he was putting Cornelius in Peter's life, share the good news with them. He put it on your plate because he knew you could handle it. He put it in your plate because he knew you're the one, you're the one that likes Brussels sprouts. Nobody likes Brussels sprouts. I'm kidding. I'm actually started eating Brussels sprouts. You can be proud of me. I started liking them certain ways. I can, I can do it, right? But God knows you. God put these people specifically in your life so you could share the good news. Not so you say, well, they don't, look, they don't line up with my standards. Guess what? They probably don't. And they won't until they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You can expect them to line up with everything you believe. Then you'll have a conversation with them. It won't happen like that. God puts them on your plate for a reason because you're in perfect position to share the good news with that person. Don't push them to the side like it's those broccoli or Brussels sprouts or asparagus. Come on. Eat your vegetables. Number two, be kind to the guest. Be kind to the guests. When Peter met these guys, he had a couple of choices, didn't he? Remember the guys come to his house and say, hey, you need to come with us. He had a couple of choices. First thing Peter could have done was he could have threatened them, couldn't he? You get out right now, I'm going to call the cops, or better yet, I'm going to shoot you myself. He could have went that way. Choice number two, the kind rejection. He could have said, I am the man you're looking for, but I'm not going to, ha I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Because see, according to ceremonial law, he wasn't allowed to speak to them. So he could say, well, according to similar law, I'm not allowed to speak to you. Goodbye and good day. He could have. Choice number three, he could have embraced him. He could have said, you know, guys, if you would have came a day ago, I would have rejected you totally different. But because of what God revealed to me, 
through a dream, I'm going to go with you. Because now I know that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Because now I know God made every person. Now I know God doesn't make mistakes. Remember, God created every person what? In his image. Therefore, it would be a mistake to dismiss someone just because they're not as you. Just because they're different. Just because they don't smell like you. So what can we learn from this about table manners? I remember having a conversation with a person. Inviting them to church. Inviting them to the table, right? And their response, and I'm sure you've heard this before, was, oh, I'd come, but I'm broke right now. As soon as I get some money, as soon as I get some new clothes, then I, then I can come. I can't believe this was a thought. But that's the rationality of some people. Well, I, I, I'm not welcomed because I don't look the part. I don't have enough money. I can't give any offering. or I'd have to ask for a ride because I don't have a ride. I mean, this person literally thought he had to dress up in order to go to church. I mean, I'm trying to talk the board into a short Sunday. I mean, I would love short Sunday. You know, let's all wear shorts one Sunday. Whatever happened to come just as you are? Whatever happened to the point that we believe that? To where they, somebody walks in with clothing, doesn't really cover everything, that we don't shun them, that we welcome them in here. That we're kind to everybody at the table. I mean, there's plenty of other reasons people don't feel welcome to church. I mean, many people have the misconception that they have to get right before they come to church, right? They have to get clean before they come to church. It's like some people, when they come over to your house, they're like, you welcome me. I'm like, oh, I'm kind of dirty. I, I don't want to. No, 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 come on in. Come on in. got to be kind to them. Welcome them in. We need to dispel this myth that you've got to get right before you walk through these doors. Because that's not the way to work. The way it should work is you come to church. The way it should work is you get a relationship with Jesus. And then through that relationship with Jesus, he starts to reveal some things to you. I mean, how does God, how does God view a person? Think about it. How does God view somebody? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? He loves them. And he loved you. That's saying a lot. I mean, this needs to be our attitude as well. There, there's something that, there's some things I don't do because of my relationship with Christ. There's some things I do because of my relationship with Christ. And these are the things that if people notice, they call me Christian, right? However, the, however, these things do not make me a Christian, and I don't do these things to be a Christian. I do them because of my relationship with Jesus. Amen. And so we need to be more concerned with people's relationship with Jesus than what they look like, what they appear like, what they act like, 
what they've grown up with. That stuff doesn't matter. What matters is their relationship with Jesus. If somebody doesn't have the right relationship with Christ, why should they act to act like we do and talk like we do? Don't be rude to the guest. Welcome everybody to the table. The third one, share the food. Share the food. So Peter's at Cornelius' house. Cornelius is telling Peter everything that happened and how he had the vision, and the vision said, go find Peter. At this point, Peter could have said, I I hear you, God bless you, and I'm out of here. But instead, what happened? Peter, being led by the Holy Spirit, decided to share some food. Being led by the Holy Spirit, he began to put this puzzle together, didn't he? And what Cornelius needed was to hear about Jesus. And so Peter began to do what no one else had ever done. Tell these Gentiles about Christ. And he was telling Cornelius, all the people and the friends and everybody around, and they were listening intently because everybody was hungry for the good news. Peter's sharing the food with them. Some folks, you know, they just don't know what they're hungry for. All they know is they're hungry. Don't you love that one? Spouses, don't you love that? You ask your spouse, what are you hungry for? I don't know, I'm just hungry. Well, let's go here. Well, not really that. Well, then obviously you're hungry for something, right? So some folks are like that. They're hungry, but, but in truth, they really don't know what they're hungry for. And so we see that they're trying to satisfy their hunger with a million different diets, a million different foods, a million different things they're trying to fill their hunger with, but they're never satisfied. Why? Because they're hungry for to hear the word that they don't even know about yet. They're hungry. And sometimes we neglect being around other people because we conclude they really don't need it. They're really not hungry. Or they're not hungry enough. We decide, don't we? I'm like, that's cute how you think you decide when somebody's hungry when they're not and they're hungry enough. It's not your stomach, is it? No. But we try. Well, well, well they, they don't need this. Well, they do need this. Well, they, we, we, we do this dance in our head. You know, Peter may have thought he didn't need Cornelius, but Cornelius needed Peter, didn't he? With so many disconnected people in the world today, somebody's got to take the initiative. And since God took the initiative with you and I, we have the security now to take the initiative with other people, don't we? We've got to help feed the hunger. What can we learn about table manners in this. Do you remember what it felt like to be lost? Do you remember what it felt like before you invited God into your heart? Do you ever remember wondering things like, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Remember that. Remember the before Christ. And don't forget that feeling. Every time you remember that hunger, think about those who are still hungry. Think about those who have not had their but God moment. Hopefully, I'm praying everybody in here has had that but God moment where we knew our life before God, but God through love, grace, and mercy, right? We've had ours. Remember the time before you did. Remember, there's so many people you bump shoulders with, you, you talk to every day who haven't had that moment in their life. That they're still hungry for something. 
Those people you look at and you're like, oh, I can't believe they're doing that. Oh, I can't believe they've done that. I can't believe they choose that. I can't. They're hungry. They think it's going to satisfy them. So just remember, it's not polite to hog the food. Share the food. There's, there's people around us who are starving spiritually. They need to hear the good news. And you've got a wonderful table setting. You've got food to dine on. And you're hogging it. When that coworker is starving to death. Pastor Mark gave me an idea today. I wish I would have thought of it earlier, but he said, I could have fried you up some fish. I thought, oh, that'd been that'd been so good. Eat fish in front of you guys. Then you get to experience the hunger, right? That's it. Like you got a big T-bone and you're chowing down. And your neighbors and your coworkers. The people at the cafe, they're staring at you because they're starving. And you're not sharing the food. Simple table manners. We've got to learn how to share the food. We've got to learn how to share the good news. The last one. Move over and make room. Move over and make room. If you grew up like I grew up, how my wife grew up, both our moms love to cook. Both our moms don't know how to cook small. So somebody comes over, hey, come on over. We'll set you a plate. I guarantee you there's plenty of food, right? It didn't matter who, when, where. It was always there's move over and let's make some room. As Peter's telling them good news, something happens. I don't know if it's ever happened again. There was no seeing there's no altar call. Peter hadn't even got to the conclusion of his sermon, and people began to respond. I mean, it's interesting the comparison between this day and the day of Pentecost is really similar. What that tells us is that they received the Holy Spirit. What that tells us is, A, only true converts can receive the Holy Spirit. So, remember, Gentiles receive this is a witnessing their true converts because they're receiving the Holy Spirit. And if they receive the Holy Spirit, who gave it to them? Not Peter, God. God gave it to them. Meaning God is a God of Gentiles too. Meaning God's the God of everything. Meaning it's a kingdom from all is what this means. Peter says this, and it was so amazing. He realized they were saved. So Peter thought through it and decided these are true converts. Cornelius and the Gentiles had a place in God's table. What a remarkable day. I mean, this is a historic day for the church. Very similar to the day of Pentecost. And we need to see, we need to repeat this scene over and over again. We call this pre-evangelism if you want to, but when, when people who know God begin showing his love to others, they're going to eat the spiritual food that Christ has. So what, how do we relate this to table manners? Simply move over and make room. Move over. Bring an extra chair to the table. Who cares if it matches your set or not? Bring an extra chair to the table. Let them in. Let it be a place where they can grow. Oh, but pastor, they don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They don't think like us. 
All that stuff does not matter. Because what we see was they were accepted by God. Since Christ is able to accept them, Christ is able to accept you. I mean, doesn't that say we should be able to accept them? Move over and let them in. I mean, I, I thought of a lot about this lately. It, it, it's good to have extra places at the table. Think about it. Somebody shows up, there's an extra spot. They're going to feel welcomed, right? Imagine this. Imagine if someone showed up for supper and you, have no, you had no room. So you pull out a tray, table, you set it up in the corner of the other room and told your guests to have fun. How would that how would that go over? You talk about as awkward as all get out. You think you're going back there for dinner? I don't think so. Our house, the kids always got the boot, right? You wouldn't feel welcome at all. But now if you had a place at the table where when somebody new came in, we all scooted over and said, hey, hey, come sit right here. That'd be a different story, wouldn't it? This morning, I just wanted to show you some table manners so we can learn. Maybe you didn't grow up with them. But with some of you men at breakfast, I guarantee you didn't grow up with table manners. <laughs> but I hope we could learn some today. What I, what I even hope more is that you take these manners with you and we apply them to our lives. Because we cannot control who God puts in our lives. Some of the people who puts in our lives, immediately they're going to be a little strange. Immediately they're going to be a little different. But that doesn't mean they're not hungry. That doesn't mean they don't need food. That gives us no reason not to practice good table manners in front of them. So that brings me to the question for you today. I want to leave you with this question. Who's the Cornelius in your life? Who's the Cornelius? I love this. Who's the Cornelius in your life? Because we talked about all kinds of people today, right? We talked, to people, talked about people who smell, talked to people about people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't act like us. But guess what? Cornelius was better than us. Come on. He was an educated man. He was leader of men. He was a warrior. He was an army guy. I mean, he was He was it. Like PhD candidate, this is Cornelius. So we always think the worst, right? But Cornelius was a good guy. He didn't know Jesus. He was still hungry, and it's evident he was looking for something. So in your quest, when I ask you who's a Cornelius in your life, don't automatically assume. Don't look for the worst of the worst. It may be your neighbor who's the best of the best, but they don't know Jesus. They're hungry. They need the good news. They need a place at the table. They need you to practice good table manners. Who's the Cornelius in your life? Who's the person that God has strategically put in your life? Because maybe you need to invite them. Maybe you just need to let them join you at the table. Why don't you stand with me this morning?
Let me start exercising our table manners. Let's start eating what God has laid on your plate. Let's start showing attention to who God has placed in your life. Maybe that thorn in your flesh is really just a desperate person crying out because they're hungry. That you've ignored and you ignored. And you know, maybe it's time to address that thing, that person that God's placed in your. Don't treat them like Brussels sprouts. Come on. Maybe it's the time you start bringing attention to them. Maybe it's time you don't start discounting people because the choices they made. Just understand their choices were driven by hunger. Little kids, think about it. I had a birthday party yesterday. Little bitty baby. I mean, the cutest little kid ever. Full of energy, full of life. I don't even know how old he is. Probably two. No, the baby, this brother. Probably two. We had cake. He ate his cake. Big brother, birthday boy, ran away. He goes to sit down at the birthday boy's table, eats all the icing off his cake. His sister leaves her cake. He goes to his sister's cake, eats all the icing over the sister's cake. He don't know, does he? He knows cake icing is good. Nobody refutes that. We've learned too much cake icing, guess what? It's bad. But there's a lot of people like that in the world today. They don't know. But yet they know that they're hungry. And so some of the things they do tick you off. Some of the things they do, you don't understand. But just know this. Now you know they're coming from a viewpoint. They're just hungry. You've got the answer. You've got the table. That God has spread a table. He's inviting you to ask them to come join you at the table. Because once they start that relationship, everything else changes. All of a sudden, things come into perspective. All of a sudden, priorities change. All of a sudden, those things that drive you nuts, guess what? They, they wash out because they, they found something. That's our job for you and I. Remember what Peter said? God shows no partiality. Let's practice some good table manners this week. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray. God, I know without a shadow of a doubt, you've put people in our lives for a reason. God, I know right now that everyone in here has people in their lives that are hungry for something that they don't even know about. So, Lord, I pray that, that we, Lord God, Lord, do you help us not get frustrated, not get, get fed up, Lord God, but help us be able to take a step back and realize they're just hungry. And Lord, so we take it upon ourselves to practice some good table manners, that we share the food, that we invite them in, we, we make a place, Lord God, and we show them your love and let them know that there's no partiality. Let them know, Lord God, that they're welcomed into your kingdom because they were created in your image, Lord. I pray this week you give us opportunities to practice some good table manners. Your precious holy name we pray. Amen, amen. Lord bless you guys.